Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show, Andy Ja and Adam Brewer. Welcome to another episode of the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. I'm Adam, your co-host. We're pre-recording this one, and so you'll hear it right after our Microsoft Digital Defense Report. Mm-hmm. Tonight, we're going to be talking about DDoS defense. And this is really for folks who are hosting external applications that are exposed to the internet. Like for example, we had talked about Mastodon and my Mastodon server is actually exposed to the internet. It has an external IP address. 443 is exposed to the internet. When you type in the domain into a web browser, it will resolve and talk to my server. Now, I probably don't need DDoS defense because it's one tiny little server with one application on it. But if you are a larger company, you have applications that are hosted, you have some importance in the industry, it might be ripe for attackers to launch a DDoS attack against you, then this is something that you're going to want to pay attention to or if you just want to learn. So CISA published some DDoS guidance on October 28th, 2022. So just a few weeks ago. And it was a joint guide from CISA, FBI, and the Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or MSISEC. And the goal was to reduce the likelihood and impact of a distributed denial of service attack or otherwise known as DDoS. So we're just gonna go through some of the basics because we may have some folks who are listening who don't know what a denial of service or a distributed denial of service attack is. So Adam, can you walk us through what a DOS attack and a DDoS attack are? Yeah, let's start with the basics. So a DOS attack or denial of service, DOS, is a type of cyber attack where the attacker's goal is to exhaust all the resources of an application or a website to make it inaccessible to the normal day-to-day usage of said application or website. And this can be done through a variety of means. Simplest one and probably the most common is overwhelming network resources, flooding it with so much data that legitimate information information can't get through. Protocol resource overload is taking advantage of specific peculiarities within a protocol and leveraging that to run out of that. So, you know, if you think of like, if you have network address translation on your home network, which you probably do, there's only so many ports that are available to map a network address translation to. And if you had a whole bunch of attempts to use those in a short period of time, you could potentially exhaust all of the ports available for connections and no further connections could be established. Or application resource overload could be things like the CPU's ability to process new requests or the memory's ability to store new requests in memory and then execute upon them. So it doesn't really matter for the purposes of a denial of service attack, which one it is. It could be any one of those. The key thing to understand is really the end result, which is you can't do the thing that it's meant to do, whatever that might be. Then we talked about DDoS or distributed denial of service attack. Now, what's interesting about those are they originate from multiple locations, the attack does. So typically what happens is an attacker will leverage a botnet. And you know what, as long as we're explaining things, what's a botnet? Well, a botnet is say your grandma's PC and my grandpa's PC and my mom's Mac and you know, a whole set of computers where people have downloaded and run malicious software and now they're controlled by attackers. And 
That way they can be distributed geographically. They can be distributed across different ISPs and different connection points. And all of them start flooding that same host with, say, again, like network requests. And because it's coming from so many different places, it's hard to track down the original source of where it came from. Because again, I might be orchestrating all of these bots to run in unison. However, you know, me as the attacker, I'm not actually involved in the actual attack. It's all these bots that I control these zombies. And I remember there was a really big distributed denial of service attack a couple of years ago that was mostly perpetrated with what we'd consider IoT devices or OT devices. The attackers had taken over things like smart cameras, like home cameras, security cameras, smart refrigerators, you know, take your pick here, smart washing machines, and had compromised all of them and used them to perpetrate the attack. And probably also like OT devices inside of manufacturing environments and other commercial instances as well. But it's not just Macs and PCs that are part of these attacks. It can be other things too. Anything that has internet connectivity and runs any sort of operating system, which is almost everything today that is a network connection, is potentially part of a botnet. And, you know, the impact of them could really be negligible sometimes. A DDoS attack where, you know, maybe a service goes down for a little bit, or maybe it's just degradated for a little bit. That might not be a huge deal, but they can be severe where a service is down for a long period of time. There's a lot of remediation involved in trying to fix it. It could be a critical service that your business relies on to generate revenue. There could be reputational damage where, hey, company X, this service went down that we rely on and was down for two days. I don't trust them anymore. I'm going to a competitor. So they can be not that big of a deal to a very big deal. And if you think of the three legs of the stool of security being CIA, confidentiality, integrity, and availability, this doesn't really affect the C and the I portions of it. It doesn't affect the confidentiality of data or the integrity of data or integrity of a system, but it definitely affects the availability of it. And that's why we as cybersecurity professionals care about it so much. And one thing to think of as well, just like in the movies, a DDoS attack could be used as a way to distract. You think of sleight of hand with a magician who does something very elaborate with one hand while they're secretly palming something with another hand. This could be a way to divert your response, your attention elsewhere while under the covers an attacker slips in and you don't notice the alerts coming from your intrusion detection system or something like that because everyone's focused on fixing the DDoS attack for your public-facing website, as an example. So the more we we can defend against these in the first place and be able to fend them off, all of these negative downstream impacts I just talked about can be mitigated as well. So Andy, what did the Microsoft Digital Defense Report have to say about DDoS attacks? Yeah. So I mentioned we released that episode the week before, so you should have listened to that. Mm -hmm. And what I found was interesting was when that Digital Defense Report was released around the same time, CISA released this guidance. And so there was some overlap in this DDoS discussion. So I'm thinking that this is actually something that is important. And if you read through the defense report, if you just kind of skim through it, you may have missed this part. You may not think about the DDoS stuff, but in the report, it does talk about that the world has essentially experienced unprecedented DDoS activity in this last year. That's what Microsoft is seeing. And it's mostly driven by the nation state attacks and the continued proliferation of low cost DDoS for higher services, which is interesting, right? I can just hire someone for very, very low cost and say, I want to target 
this organization and bring down their services just because. And like Adam said, that could be a diversion or it could just be, I want to you know make them suffer. But some numbers, Microsoft has mitigated on average about 1,900 attacks per day for DDoS, which is a 40% increase from the previous year. So definitely something that both Microsoft and the federal government is seeing, well, you know, reason why they're putting out this whole guide. Previously, though, what was interesting is that the attacks normally peaked around the end of year holiday season. But then in 2021, the most recorded DDoS attack was on August 10th. And so they're thinking that there may be a shift towards a more year round attack, which highlights the more importance of having an ongoing protection beyond just peak traffic seasons. And, you know, as far as duration goes, most attacks were short lived. Approximately 28% of the attacks were less than 10 minutes, 26% were 10 to 30 minutes, and 14% were about 31 to 60 minutes. Only 32% of the attacks were more than an hour. Attack vectors most common were UDP protocol using simple service discovery protocol or SSDP, connectionless lightweight directory access protocol or CLDAP, DNS and NTP, which network time protocol. They also saw an increase in application layer DDoS attacks uh, targeting websites with 16.3 million requests per second or 9.89 thetabytes of peak traffic. I don't even know how much a thetabyte is, but it seems like a lot. There's a nice graphical chart in the report which shows the DDoS attack destinations or what nations are getting attacked most often. And this is more threat intelligence for the folks listening, but 54% of the DDoS attacks were against targets within the United States. So that was number one. And then the next biggest chunk was India at 23%. And Southeast Asia was 3%, East Asia 8%. And what Microsoft is saying is that they found a high volume of attacks in Asia due to the region's large gaming footprint, especially in China, Japan, South Korea, and India. And I thought that was interesting because if you listen to the show, you know that I'm a gamer and I've played a lot of online games. World of Warcraft famously gets DDoSed all the time whenever they run like a new expansion or they launch a new feature and it's super frustrating for users like me when i try to authenticate and i can't get authenticated to their services because they're under a ddos attack and like microsoft found most of the attacks are, are fairly short but it is super frustrating for the companies and the users themselves so let's talk about how to protect against it. Now, in the CISA guidance, there's a lot of information on it. So I'll go through some of them here. I would recommend reading through it. Of course, we'll have the link in the show notes. First and foremost, just like anything in cybersecurity, you want to do an inventory. You want to understand what your critical assets and your services are. These are the things that, you know, if it goes down, we are in big trouble. We need to have redundancy. We need to have, figure out how to bring this back up. So identify those services that you have exposed to the public internet and any vulnerabilities to those services. And you want to prioritize those and then implement ways to reduce the risk by, you know, server hardening or patching or something like that. There's two main things, you know, if you have externally exposed assets that are kind of critical beyond just having the basics which is a web application firewall or commonly known as a WAF and then also DDoS protection. Now, 
most ISPs will include DDoS protection as part of it, but you can also purchase services that specifically can put DDoS protection in front of your application. With WAFs and DDoS protection, they often go together as two separate things, but it's technically two different services. But a lot of vendors will kind of lump those together. And there's a lot of vendors that, that have them out there. If you host your stuff within Azure, of course, Azure has an Azure WAF and DDoS protection. AWS has the same thing. And then there's other vendors like Akamai, Impervia, Fortinet, F5. They're all like separate services that you can buy to put in front of your application and they would handle both your application firewall and DDoS protection. If you do purchase something from a vendor, you want to engage with them to make sure what actually they're protecting. So look at your service agreements and understand what protections they're offering to assist in mitigating the DDoS attacks and then any risks that are posed by gaps and limitations in that coverage. You can also speak with them to you know figure out what best practices are for hosting any type of web servers because they obviously have a lot of experience in protecting against them. So they might have some suggestions in configurations and server hardening. You can also look at your dedicated edge network defenses. Talk to a managed service provider or an MSB about some managed service that can guard against DDoS attacks. There are a lot of MSPs that offer some edge technologies that can assist with like customizing edge defenses. And that can reduce the downtime caused by DDoS attacks. And this is something that for folks from smaller companies who have smaller applications may not know, but once you get into scaled applications, scaled infrastructure, especially in the cloud, you want to look at high availability and load balancing or even co-location of your resources into designing when you're like looking at designing infrastructure and architecture. So most of the time when people stand up a server, they think, oh, I'm just going to stand up a server with an application and it's good to go. But if you design it with high availability, I mean, not only if something goes wrong, you know, in the case of like you overload the memory on one or the storage is full. Like if you design it for high availability, then it can you know be redundant across multiple different servers. And so if one goes down, then the service is still up. Just like I talked about with our Mastodon episode, Jerry had six different servers that were working in concert to keep that instance up. If one were to go down, obviously the service would be affected, but it wouldn't be down completely versus like if you were to host it on one server, if the server goes down, it's down. Like for me, I I have one server and when the storage was full, I didn't have the service up anymore. I went to the website and it just didn't resolve because it was down. So look at high availability and load balancing when you're doing your architecture, if it's a critical service. Having it slow is better than having it not accessible at all. Exactly. And then of course, with everything, a DDoS response plan should be part of your DR or disaster recovery plan. Your plan should guide you through identifying, mitigating, recovering from DDoS attacks. It should loop in your internal stakeholders, your service providers, and let them know what their responsibilities are during a DDoS attack. And then at a minimum, the plan should include understanding the nature of a DDoS attack, confirming DDoS attack, mitigations, monitoring, and recovery. And then you want a business continuity plan or BCP. In the plan that should identify like alternatives for your critical applications, specifically communications. And then it should include a way for leadership to communicate decisions to internal network defenders and external service providers if a DDoS attack were to overwhelm your network. And then of course, conduct tabletop exercises to test your DDoS response plan. If you review the CISA guidance, you know, this is like a lot of the things that they talk about on how to defend and prepare for it, but they also 
also go through in the report on what to do during an attack and then what to do after an attack. So if DDoS is something that you're worried about because you have external applications and you want to protect against them, I would highly recommend at least reading through the CSIC guidance because it is very, very good. And then at the bottom, there's a link for a bunch of resources. And one of them stuck out to me, which I clicked on and went to. And I got to tell you, like CISA is really stepping up their game. They have a ton of really good resources. This one specifically was tabletop exercise packages. So they already have packages that you can just download and use as tabletop exercises. If you don't know where to start, click on this link and go to it and download some of their packages and run your tabletops. Like you don't need to come up with your own exercises. They have them for you. So I'm going to try to get one of the CISA folks on our call at some point in our podcast because I, I know several, including the one for Wisconsin, who is the CISA liaison. It just takes a little bit to, you know, for their red tape and communication to get through to be on a podcast. But I got to tell you, if you haven't spent some time on their site, definitely go. They have some great resources. A lot of good information here on the steps you can take to protect yourself. This is one where I will make a plug for cloud providers and say they are really the best equipped to help you run a public facing whatever application website and protect it against DDoS attacks. I can't speak to the other providers, although I know it's very big business for them as well. But at Microsoft, we have so much fiber, so much connectivity, so many different points of presence that we have a unique ability to really absorb and manage a DDoS attack and keep you operational through it. I think you mentioned it earlier in the show, Andy, but Microsoft successfully fended off like a, a multiple terabit per second attack and kept a customer operational with the DDoS protection that's part of Azure. And again, I'm confident that the other guys like AWS and GCP have comparable capabilities too. But either way, this is something that's really hard to manage on your own in your own data center. Your ISP may be able to help some, but it just might not be, you know, quite the same thing. So worth checking out. But I think, again, this is another place where cloud scale and cloud capabilities, um, I think the cloud vendors really do a good job with this. So that's probably one direction to go. But again, you need to plan for it happening. You need to plan for it impacting your operations and how you come out the other side of it. And all of those resources, especially some of the materials provided by CISA can really, really help you be prepared for the worst. And then you can hope for the best nice call out there adam and that's our show for this week thanks for watching and listening as always our contact information will be in the show notes if you have any questions or topics you want us to talk about in the future thanks we'll talk to you guys next week thank you for listening to the blue security podcast please check out the show notes catch up on episodes you may have missed and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes find andy on twitter at ajaw zero and adam at aj brewer see you at our next episode